This is Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Um, hello and welcome to Dialogue Sunday Study. Uh, today, this is our, um, call it our Christmas session, December 26, 2021, with Nathan Kitchen speaking on how silently the wondrous gift is given, the gentleness of love in our daily discipleship. We are really, really happy to have Nathan Kitchen with us today. Um, saddened that Darren Perry, who was expecting and planning to teach today, is unable to, um, doing, due to some surgery and, and, and recovery. Uh, we will reschedule and we will have a chance to hear from Darren Perry in next year. Um, I guess I'll jump ahead to an announcement there that uh, this um, Dialogue Sunday study program will continue in 2022. Uh, there will be more announcements, and I recommend that you subscribe to the Dialogue newsletter to keep up with the information. We are going to move the time to 1130 uh, Mountain Time, 1130 instead of 10, and uh, our first session in the new year, 2022, will be on January 9th. Um, I, I think that's the business for today. I am, I am Chris Kimball. I'm conducting on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation Board. Other board members, Michael Austin, uh, who is in the background already, and Rebecca Deschreinitz are part of our group. Um, we're using our webinar format on Zoom. We're running a live stream on Facebook, and, and we are re recording already. Um, as, as anybody who's participated before knows, we, are, we use the chat function. We will follow, and, and uh, as discussion is uh, possible, We'll watch the chat and try to introduce questions. Um, let's see. Uh, as 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 you all know, this is also fundraising season. We are um, trying to fill our coffers as we have a capital campaign to secure Dialogue's future for the next fifty years. Um, that's enough of a mention. Everybody, I hope, knows it's underway. So let's 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 move into our 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 real session today. Um, I'm pleased to introduce Nathan introduce Nathan Kitchen. Um, he has been a presenter, a teacher with us before in 2020, uh, but I'm going to introduce him again anyway. We uh, we love Nathan. And we're glad to have him with us again. Uh, Nathan served his mission in Alabama. He graduated with a BS in zoology from BYU, earned his doctor of dental medicine from Southern Illinois University, and completed a general practice residency at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics. He's currently in private practice in Mesa, Arizona. Um, these days, he is probably best known in this community for his work within the Latter-day Saint LGBTQIA community, which most recently took him back to Brigham Young University where affirmation began in 1977. Uh, Nathan is a proud father of five amazing children. He lives in Gilbert, Arizona with his husband, Matthew Rivera. Um, and, and I will give our normal qualifier here that as with every speaker and participant, Nathan is with us today for his personal insights, for his own voice, uh, he does not speak for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, and he does not speak for the Dialogue Foundation. Even though we welcome and, and appreciate Nathan with us today, it's his own voice. Um, for our program, um, the opening song 
will be a particular version of O Little Town of Bethlehem. I recommend that you listen and pay attention. Um, Nathan has identified this as foundational to his, uh, to his lesson. Um, if we have time, we may have music in the middle, but our closing song will be softly and tenderly. Um, our prayers today will be offered by Laura Skaggs as an opening prayer and Larry Lee Hall as a closing prayer. Um, with that, uh, Michael, can we begin with uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem? Our, our dear heavenly parents, we thank thee for this Christmas season and the love of, of thy son and the blessing of his example and, and teachings and light in our, our lives. We are grateful for this opportunity today um, to hear from Nathan. We're grateful, Father, for, for dialogue and creating a safe, welcoming place for LGBTQ people to have a voice and we pray that thy spirit might be with all of us today, uh, that we might be humble um, and hear um, a message and guidance for each of us today. Please help us to see ways in which we can lift um, and relieve the suffering um, or burdens or challenges of those in our sphere and we pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Laura. Uh, first, thank you, Dialogue, uh, for this opportunity uh, to be able to teach today's uh, Christmas lesson, uh, the final lesson of the Come, Follow Me uh, 2021 season. I look forward to what you have in store uh, for 2022. Uh, Laurie, Laura, thank you for joining us today. Um, I would love it if you could um, chime in as well uh, as I have scriptures to read and, and maybe to, to have scriptures handy or be able to look them up so um, we can uh, just you know, talk together and move through the Christmas story um, here at, during this lesson. And I just wanted to especially wish Darren um, continued healing. Um, I, I hope that you heal well and that you recover. Uh, and I know that I have big shoes to fill. And uh, I, we all are thinking about you and uh, desire the best outcome uh, in your health as you continue your journey of healing. So let's begin. I specifically asked for this to be the opening uh, Dialogue Gospel Sunday music, this particular version of A Little Town of Bethlehem. It's sung by the Choir of King's College in Cambridge. Um, this version was sung in 2005. Now, because of copyright and other reasons, I, I know it won't be included in today's recording. 
and it may be hard to find, but but if you come across this lesson by recording, um, I would encourage you to find this particular version of O Little Town of Bethlehem. Give it a listen, because it will very much enrich um, the foundation of what we'll, we'll stand on as we move through today's lesson. So I would like to ask you, as my, my panelists, <laughs> after years of opening up our green hymnal and singing Old Little Town of Bethlehem during Christmas time, what stood out for you when you listened to this version? And I'll open it up to the floor. Um, I probably got the wrong answer, but I think it was uh, uh, a quieter and more kind of appealing, sensitive. I, uh, a little town of Bethlehem out of the hymnal sounds almost triumphal, and and that's a different feel, a very different feel in this in this King's College version. Good. Yeah. And how silently, how silently, you know, it was just touching and beautiful. Yeah. You know, two things uh, came across my mind that I have always thought about when I listened to this version. Um, first, it is sung in the, Anglic in, in the Anglican tradition. And our English saints were the only pioneers uh, from across the pond. One of the great pioneers that crossed the plains was the Anglican music tradition of reverberating choirs accompanied by a soaring organ. It just, it sounds like general conference, doesn't it? It's a familiar and a grand style of music of our, our pioneer ancestors that to this day is exuded uh, from headquarters in Salt Lake. Um, it's, it's how we have all learned to feel the spirit. And just parenthetically, I am really glad that in the most recent handbook update that, that it is now recognized that there are a diverse number of musical styles that people all around the world associate with feeling the spirit and how that diversity can unify congregations just as much as a soaring general conference Anglican music sounding hymn can do. Um, I, I affirm diversity and I agree that diversity in all types really does unify our congregations as the handbook tells us about music in our worship services. You know, Nathan, it's very interesting that, um, that you say that as I visited um, congregations in various parts of the world, the music presented was entirely different, although it may have been from the same green hymn book. Um, a, a congregation in Nigeria who couldn't read music but could read the words in English um, sang a very different tune to the hymns that they presented without accompaniment. Um, and, and yet it was strikingly beautiful as it was presented. Um, familiar, but uniquely um, theirs uh, as well. Did you feel robbed of the spirit by hearing music presented that way? Not in the least. In, in fact, it was, um, it was thrilling to, uh, to have 
have that presentation made. Thank you. I am um, another unique aspect that I, I, I think about often is we sing hymns according to a hymn tune. For instance, the first hymn, the hymnal uh, that Emma um, compiled for us was a book of text. And then they would just indicate the hymn tune that the congregation would sing it to. Today's opening hymn tune is not the hymn tune that we sing Old Little Town in Bethlehem to in the Green Hymnal. This hymn tune is called Forest Green. And if you think back to our hymnal, we do sing a hymn in the Forest Green hymn tune. It just happens to be hymn number 15. I saw a mighty angel fly. And so this hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, we now sing it in a way where it has been placed in the hymns of the restoration section, but we're singing about Christmas. And this mix, this mash is what I love so much um, because it, you know, I often think um, in, when I was a freshman, I took Eugene England's uh, colloquium at BYU. And one of the things that we were taught is if you ever have a question about the text, go to the library and check out the latest translation. And in that, you will have new insights into what the text is actually saying. And in my opinion, a new hymn tune has the same effect as a new translation in our understanding of a hymn text. And so hearing this song in what we would consider um, a hymn of the restoration really for me brings the words into a different light. And that is the light that I want to cast the Christmas story in. Um, and I'm going to come back to one thing that Lori Lee said, because she made an astute observation uh, that, that, that deserves a little more digging in a moment. So uh, just to recap, we, we began today with the soaring Anglican choir, an organ that filled the chapel, a congregation singing um, a little town of Bethlehem, not in our familiar sleepy hymnal tune, but a tune that, the tune that we associate from our hymn book as a hymn of the restoration. It's, it's in that section. So O Little Town of Bethlehem now becomes a Christmas hymn, delivered at a joyful pace, conveying the sweeping and glorious angelic deliverance of good news of the gospel. And uh, Elder Deacon Todd Christofferson recently taught new mission presidents that this gospel is a good news, and the good news of the gospel is that God sent his only begotten son to redeem us from sin and death. The good news, the gospel, it begins with the Christmas story. The Christmas story is a glorious part of the entire story of the redemption. So let's begin. Um, Will, who has scriptures? Who, who can start a reading for us? If you can just let me know who will be reading. Laura, okay, great. We're going to read the Christmas story. And if you will go to Luke chapter 2, I would like you to read uh, verses 9 through 11. We're going to begin our lesson um, 
when the angel reveals to the shepherds the wondrous gift God imparted to the world that night. And that is Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, which we probably all read to each other um, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, which is a really great tradition to do. All right, Laura, go ahead. Sorry, I had to unmute myself. And in the spirit of other translations, this is what I'm reading from today. Wonderful. And it's really great. The most recent translation, I think, that we have. Um, then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Okay, Laura, think hope. Think about uh, verse eleven because I'm gonna. I want to ask you a question um, about that, but cast it in uh, some context of the entire plan of of salvation, the story of redemption. So. God tells Moses in Moses 139 that this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, of, of all humankind. So how does that exchange between God and Moses inform your insight into verse 11 of what the angel is actually trying to convey to the shepherds that night? about what was born for them that day. So what's the connection between my work and my glory and the angel's announcement in verse 11? I mean, I think the context that you're sort of pointing us to sort of invites a bigger picture, right? This is a long awaited Messiah sort of points us back to that aspect um, of who Christ was or is. Um, and, you know, you, you use the words and the scripture use the words and, and, and Moses, like it points to, this is, this is a message and a savior for everyone, um, which I think is a really, really, really important piece um, of that announcement and what it means, you know, to, to personalize um, this sort of grand happening. Yeah. You know, you're exactly right. I mean, we, we learn from Moses why this gift was given. Uh, Jesus Christ is the gift that makes the immortality and eternal life of, of human beings happen. It, it's how it, 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 it makes it happen. And, and we learn that night from the angels that Jesus, who makes this happen, was given to us. And I think those are two important pieces, two very important par part of, of, of the puzzle of, of the redemption of us as children of God. But when we look at the whole timeline of, of messengers of Jesus Christ, um, it is the apostles, the witnesses of Christ, who teach us, I think, very importantly, not only 
what the gift was or why the gift was given, but they teach us how this gift was given. It is the how that is the, the beauty of, of this great plan of happiness, of, of the immortality and eternal life of every one of God's children. I, it is the tenderness of the Christmas story um, that is found in the hows. How was this wondrous gift given? And I want to point out what Laurie Lee Hall saw and felt in that opening um, hymn version. The first two verses were sung together, choir and organ congregation richly joining in the good news that Christ was born to Mary in the little town of Bethlehem. But then at the end of the second verse, there is a grand pause in the tradition of Anglican music, a grand pause that lets the organ and the voices reverberate away into silence. And from this silence, the choir quietly enters the third verse alone, without organ or congregation, in contrast to the sound that had previously filled the chapel, to seeing how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. Now, contrast in music such as this are a very effective way to deliver the core thesis, the core message of a musical text. So here the thesis is delivered and we feel it. We recognize it like Lori did. We, we, we feel it deep down, the gentleness of sheer love, silently, gently given that night that our Savior was born. And so today we're going to wend our way following this third verse spirit and marvel together at this gift of love, and then conclude by considering our own practice as we follow in his love, which is the gentleness of love in our daily discipleship. For in the end is not love the fruit that we bear in our discipleship when we accept the invitation to leave our metaphorical nets and come follow me. The Christmas message, and I'm so happy that this is the, 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 the end. Or the, this, this shows us uh, that what we have been studying about, come follow me, the Christmas message is the come follow me message. So one of you possibly, I know that, that, that you probably have John 3.16 uh, committed to memory. Um, if, if you don't, could someone read it for us? John 3.16. I'll have to play with the mute, but I do have it. Okay, good. Um, this time, King James, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. So, Chris, will you consider for a moment the coupling that the Apostle John gives the word gave with the word love or loved? What strikes you about this coupling? Why do they happen together? Well, for me, it has always been in the word son, um, his, his son given. Um, 
because I imply, I infer a love, and that a love of his son that is conveyed into a love of the world, and it's that sharing um, in the form of a baby. Um, that's that's what I get. <laughs> Excellent. So it wasn't a gift that was just given out of necessity or um, a recipe. We're following the recipe of the plan of salvation. And the next ingredient is the birth of Jesus. <laughs> it, it, was, it was actually a parental love. That's the how, how this, how Christ was given to us. How when Laura read the, 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 trans, the newest translation, how it says how the Messiah was given to us, the Savior, given to us from love. And I think, I think back, I mean, I, after 52 years, I had the absolute joy of reconnecting with my birth mother. And I had lived life thinking I understood what love was. I had through marriage, through my own children, through through being with other people. Um, but after 52 years of a closed adoption, and we found one another, of all the things that my birth mother could have told me in those opening moments of reunion, the first thing that she said to me was, Nathan, I want you to know that you were given in love. And all of a sudden, that was like, I had just been to the library and read a new translation of the word love to understand that I was, I, my life, the course of my life was changed by the attitude of love my birth mother had for me, uh, for the life that she desired for me to have. And she had given me in love. That's, that created a whole new context. Of, of my life. It was a transformational moment. And, and it really cast for me a new understanding of the love that our heavenly parents have for, for their children. Um, it, often when Jesus speaks in parable, he's talking about a parent's love for their children. Um, do we as a parent, do we give our children stones or serpents when they ask for bread? No, you know, but our, our, our heavenly parents, they give us out of love their gifts. And they are a great example of, of, of the house, of the love, of gifts that are bestowed upon us. And I think, too, that as we, as we go about our lives, are we really not all that newborn child in the arms of a mother? Um, are we not all children who are completely reliant upon our parents, upon others, uh, for our very breath, for the very course of our life? Uh, it starts us out in a way and to know that, that we have been given in love, that we are given gifts from our, our eternal parents out of love, not out of necessity or because we're compelled to, but out of love. Um, it helps us understand in a very mortal way the, the sheer love of God in our lives and the very nature, not only of God, but how we see ourselves and how we contextualize ourselves in the work and the glory of God. I would like to go to the Book of Mormon next. <laughs> <laughs> 
and go to the time of Nephi. Nephi lived 600 years before the birth of the Savior. And in his desire to understand a dream his father had concerning the tree of life, he was taught this nature of love. In 1 Nephi chapter 8, Lehi shares with his family a dream that he had of the tree of life. Nephi wanted to better understand, so he pondered on the words and asked the Lord, and his spirit caught him up and took him to an exceedingly high mountain. And it was on that mountain that the spirit showed uh, Nephi the same tree that Lehi described, and that it had a beauty that exceeded all beauty. The spirit then asked Nephi, what desirest thou? And Nephi answered, I want to know the interpretation thereof. And then the spirit commanded Nephi to look again. And he showed him the Christmas scene. He showed Nephi the city of Nazareth and the Virgin Mary. And then the angel asked Nephi, knowest thou the condescension of God? Now, I have always felt this an unfair question to ask a mortal person. How can we really ever know that? It's like a heavenly pop quiz that none of us are really prepared for. But immediately, Nephi gives us a key how to understand the mysteries of godliness, how to understand the mystery of God. When he tells the spirit, he doesn't know the details, but this I know. I know that God loveth his children. To this, the Spirit then contextualizes the condescension of God through love, through a way that we, in our mortal experience, with our mortal bodies and understanding, can understand by love. And he tells Nephi the Christmas story and then contextualizes it. Could I have one of you read 1 Nephi 11, verses 18 through 23? And we will walk through this. Lori, go ahead. 18 through 23? Yeah. First Nephi 11, 18 through 23. Okay. And he said unto me, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God after the manner of the flesh. And it came to pass that I beheld that she was carried away in the spirit. And after she had been carried away in the spirit for the space of a time, the angel spake unto me, saying, Look. And I looked and beheld the virgin again bearing a child in her arms. And the angel said unto me, Behold, the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father, knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? And I answered him, saying, Yea, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men, wherefore it is the most desirable above all things. And he spake unto me, saying, Yea, and the most joyous to the soul. So, Lori, how does the Christmas story that the Spirit tells, for you, how does that provide context? Well, this, is, this is a beautiful way of contextualizing the meaning of the story. Um, I remember teaching my children, and I couldn't teach the story of Christmas from Luke alone, but with the additional context that uh, uh, the Book of Mormon provides. The beauty in this is we, we know that the fruit represents the gift of the Son, that the fruit represents the love of God, 
and that sheds itself abroad to all the hearts of all the children and is most desirable above all. Um, it's available to all and it, it shines upon us all. And it comes because of the gift of a lamb um, who was promised beforehand. Um, we will provide a savior for you as we're taught in the temple. Um, this is the culmination of that or the, the actual occurrence that was promised. And it's to bring love to us all, the love of God to us all, which is the greatest of all things. It is. It's even the prophet Isaiah says that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, the work and the glory of God that God revealed to Moses as my work and my glory, it is enveloped eternally in the gentleness of sheer love, silently, gently given to the world the night Jesus was born. The invitation, come follow me, is not just an intellectual exercise. It's just not a Sunday lesson to get through so you can go and have lunch. It is a practical flesh and blood corporeal journey where we take upon ourselves the very name of Christ and become the physical manifestation of his love as we follow in his footsteps and going about doing good in this world Come follow me is made alive by incorporating the gentleness of love within our daily discipleship. So I want to revisit John 3.16 again, and I'm going to read it, but I would like one of you to have um, an additional scripture ready to read right after I read John 3.16. I'd like you to find 1 John 4.11. So we hear what John says in 3.16, but John's going to continue along in 1 John 4.11. So who, who uh, Rebecca, could you find 1 John 4.11? Okay, immediately after I read John 3.16, will you just continue along with 1 John 4.11 as if it is the same thought, all right? Okay, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So my beloveds of Christ, ponder this message from John in your hearts. Here's where I would break and have us listen to the Tabernacle Choir sing, um, He Sent His Son, which is a primary song. Um, it's almost four minutes, and I, I want to, to move along into something, um, more of a discussion. So I want to just take a minute to build on what Rebecca just read. So God loved the world. God gave his only begotten son. But beloveds, if God so loved you, ought you not love one another? And this is the, the message of the primary song, um, He Sent His Son. 
in that text, we sing, you know, how can a father tell the world of, of love and tenderness? How can a father show the world the path that we should go? Um, how can the father do the work and the glory? And then the, the song ends by answering that question. How does God actually accomplish the work and the glory? The Father asks us to have faith and to have hope and live like his son. Help others on their way. That helping others on their way is that gentleness of love. That's what our heavenly parents ask us to do, to help bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of all of our siblings. We're in this together as we walk together back home. Um, we know what Christ's love is. We know that Christ has given love. Therefore, the practice of love is the fruits of our personal discipleship. And Laura, I saw your hand. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> something I've been thinking about a lot as you've been talking is sometimes we understand something better when we're able to see the inversion or the contrast of, or, or in this case, the absence of a sense of that love or that that love is for everyone. Now, a lot of people know that I'm a therapist and that I work with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints um, as they're sorting out what those two very meaningful um, but often conflicting identities um, you know, mean to them and what that means for their path. And oftentimes as they start to feel better and more positive and integrate um, something that feels good about being LGBTQ um, and their path maybe moves more into living um, into that path or into themselves in ways that feel healthy and good, they butt right up against teachings that say, if you move in this direction, you will fall outside of certain blessings. You will fall outside of certain rights. And this is where people begin to wither. This is where people's mental health begins to go into crisis. Um, when an individual feels like they may fall outside of the love of God and partaking of that love and being a part of that heavenly journey, the, the whole spirit, the body, the mind, all of it, because it's all connected, it withers and suffers. Um, and as a therapist, I'm not a theologian, I'm not a bishop, I'm not. Um, and so my role is not typically to, to sort of teach a new doctrine, <laughs> um, but to sort of help them explore and re-explore their spirituality and their relationship with God. And hopefully be serve as sort of a facilitator in them reconnecting in some way to that divine sense of being loved and lovable and part of light in the world. Um, and and um, the contrast of when people are able to reclaim that is profound, but it is a it can be a very dark journey 
with so many dark nights that puts people right on the brink, right on the edge of what it means to want to live or to want to die or to, or to feel a part of or to, or to feel in outer darkness. Um, and so, yeah, that's just been coming to my mind as, as you've been sharing, you know, this like, what is this love that we're talking about and that it's for everyone. Um, and sometimes it's harder to understand until we see what it is that happens to people when they're sort of directly confronted with some sense that you don't have that access or that you are no longer invited to the table. So Laura, can we, I want to build on this thought to, to, to elevate us to this last part of the lesson, because what you have just said brings us to a point of something I want to introduce and then open up to the panel for a final discussion on. Everyone's practice of the gentleness of love of Christ in their own discipleship it looks different for everyone because we are all on a particular road that is unique to ourselves. And so we are going to encounter any number of others on our way, like the, the children's hymn says, when we help others on our way. So it may be the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned. You know, these are the least of these, as Jesus would say. But we also, in our mortal journey, we encounter those who have been othered on our way. Those who bear some sort of mark that separates them from the power centers. They've been marked by a power center. And then it separates them from the power centers of either opportunities of either society or even their spiritual home. Jesus spent much time with those who had been othered in his mortal ministry. So who are the others and the othered today? And you have spoken of the contrasts. And I want to ask our panel of, 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 of you to perhaps provide some examples and comments on how you can now practice not in contrast to the gentleness of love, but how can you practice the gentleness of love when we run towards the others and the othered who are the least of those among us? And as you think, I want to give one example, and I'm going to pick the lowest hanging fruit. <laughs> so you're going to have to think. In our wards and stakes, we are surrounded by LGBTQ Latter-day Saint youth who are greeted with rejecting messages and far too often pure bullying. Elder Holland recognized that much of the world is a hostile place for LGBTQ people. Um, he recognized this when he recently spoke uh, at BYU to the faculty and staff. So it's not a secret that the world is a hostile place for LGBTQ people. It's a hard phenomenon to understand why 
a community of saints, a community of covenant people could, how can you bring prejudice and acts of prejudice in with you to a place of, of community worship? But yet it happens. This is one of the reasons why we have a, a section in the new handbook specifically about prejudice, where the first presidency calls out prejudice and acts of prejudice, telling us to, to eliminate these from our own selves. But it's going to take some time. And, and our LGBTQ youth are going to still see this. Our LGBTQ youth need the gentleness of discipleship in their spiritual home. And some of the most gentle expressions of love I have witnessed in my tenure as president of Affirmation is when members expand the safety bubble around them, kind of like a lighthouse, like a refuge. It's a place where LGBTQ youth can come in for a rest in the ecosystem of a two-hour block in the meeting house, where they can know that they are seen or have an understanding ear. Like Laura says, you alone in your personal discipleship, you cannot change doctrine, you cannot change policy, but in your gentleness of your daily discipleship, you can increase the footprint of available safe zones where LGBTQ youth can feel safe when they, where they can safely come to land and to rest and to be authentic and, and authentically, authentically seen. Um, when you wear a rainbow pin, when you introduce yourself using your pronouns, when you gently correct something that's, that's either hostile or prejudicial and a comment made during a lesson towards the marginalized, towards the LGBTQ individuals, it may seem like a small act, but that is your discipleship. That's how you on your path as you come follow Christ can make a difference, can make a change. You can make a change around you. And within your sphere, people can come and you can gather them in together and you will walk together back home to our heavenly parents. I believe our heavenly parents, when they welcome us in, they will look at us and they will look to our size to see who we have brought along with us. It's one of the wonderful mysteries of this love of God, the, the, the very life of Jesus, that we, when we take upon us the name of him, can exude. So I want to ask our panel, what are an example of others or othered, and, and how can we practice a gentleness of love within our own personal ministry of those who are othered or love or, or others? So I'll open that up. Boy, the, the, the list, although I don't want to jump off LGBTQ youth, that seems that you called it low hanging fruit, but mm -hmm. it's so, it, it is so obvious and so clear. <clears throat> but Nathan, I'd like to move um, up one level of ab abstraction. Mm -hmm. um, I could name a number of other marginalized or, or uh, women. Um, are uh, non-white, male, um, heterosexual, uh, that's sort of everyone other than adult men who are white and straight, I guess, is, it, that's the whole, that's, that's sort of three quarters of the church is all the others that are, so, that that's that's too easy, almost almost. Well, you know, easy. that's that's what I, I want. I want a full, broad diversity, so we can understand together our others and the others. So go ahead on that on that line, yeah. But, yeah, but let me let me push 
or, or not push. I, I, you use the word walking back home, and I think it's important. Um, there's, a, there's a move from Moses to 1 John that I noticed as you went there, and I wanted to identify it, I guess. Um, because in Moses, you're hearing about eternal life and glory, and that is what is kind of echoed when we talk about walking back home. Um, but 1 John moves us to, um, we ought to love one another, which has a very immediate, this world right now in this context sense. And I, I feel that transition very importantly, because when we, when we start talking about who gets to go to heaven, we start drawing lines and we start setting rules and we start othering people. When we talk about loving, which is you know the context of building a Zion society in the present, that's another context. Then we're talking about loving one another, about loving the people we see in front of us right now today in the in the pews, in our families, in our communities. And I I feel that present tense. It's too easy for the eternal life context to get people drawing lines and making distinctions. And if I, when you bring it to, we ought to love one another in 1 John 4, 11, that makes it present tense. That makes it right now. And I, I like that focus and I just wanted to, and, and, and that's right now the LGBTQ youth. That's right now the single woman with children who is not, recognized that is right now the older man who doesn't really fit in and has his own ideas and seems a little bit off the wall but I mean maybe that's the place I identify <laughs> but I guess that's um, you know the, the marginalized is most of us frankly Okay, so you, Chris, you have literally led me to the thesis of, of what we have spoken, but what, what the lesson is today, and thank you for leading us here. It is the very presentness, the very, the very now. Um, the, that's why it's the daily discipleship. It's what we do now. That is what John is asking us to do um, as we embody um, the Savior, as we embody the Christmas story ourselves, as we provide um, that, that help, um, as we help others along their way. I, I know we need to wrap up within the hour, and I would love to hear additional um, discussion. Maybe we can do that after this ends. I just, I want to just end piggybacking off of what you just said, um, Chris. And then take us out maybe with a prayer and then softly and tenderly. Um, you know, <laughs> the final thought is you know, Jesus embodies God's love. And that is the thesis of the story. And when he invites us to come follow him, he calls for you and for me to practice the gentleness of love in the right now in our daily discipleship. He is not asking us to judge our neighbor, 
to decide who's going to heaven, who's not. He's not asking us to other our neighbor, for it is to the others that we should run to lift, to greet. We are all weary peers walking together, equal, equally relying upon God to sustain us, no matter where we were born, uh, who we were born to, the color of our skin, our gender, our gender identity, our, our sexual orientation, our ability or disability. There is no room in the gentleness of love for a rammy umptum. For are we all not sinners and fall short of the glory of God? And in the end, it is the love of God that will welcome each one of us home. It is our bearing of his gentle love that helps others along the way. That is the context that we can experience the love of the Christmas story in our everyday gentleness of love in our discipleship. And so we're going to close by listening to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, seeing this concept in a very, one of the best ways that I know how to contextualize it. And as they do, I would like you to ponder the words of John. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God in heaven, our Father and our Mother, we thank thee for the blessing of this day and to be able to meet together and open our hearts. And we pledge our hearts to be open to this message of love, divine love and encompassing love that we might be sensitive to it and that we might be vessels of it to all those around us. We pray that thy spirit may flow into our open hearts and that we might extend it in a blessing to those around us and those with whom we may come in contact. We are grateful for Nathan and his guiding of this discussion and for dialogue making this space available to us. And we pray in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you. So I loved thinking about um, the vision and, and Nephi in connection with this lesson. Um, and I was really struck by Laura's comment and, uh, you know, talking about the experience often of our LGBTQ um, youth, especially, um, but, uh, but across the age spectrum. Um, and their experience, and then thinking about this, this love and what, and the fruit and that, um, it's not a tree that's withering, right? <laughs> the love of God, um, and, and the, um, and the gospel is not something that would, that, that fits with that kind of withering image. Um, but it's something that, that nourishes and, and it's a fruit and it's beautiful and it's most precious. Um, and it's something that's available to all. Right. Um, yeah. 
that's going to take me in a whole different direction, Rebecca, but I will, <laughs> I'll, I'll say it anyway, because the model that we're using here, both for God's love of his son and love of our, um, and, and our love, we're using the parental model. We're using, we're, we're talking uh, very much, and Nathan vividly and, and memorably talked about that. Um, uh, and what I keep hearing among church members, so I'll go there, is a tension between um, parents' love for their children, including their LGBTQ children, and what they're hearing from the church, from other church members about who is who is within the circle that you are entitled to or permitted to love. And I, I hear those tensions going both directions. I hear those tensions, uh, uh, parents saying, I can't keep attached to my children because the church tells me otherwise. I, I think that's a false message, but people hear it. And saying, I can't stay connected to the church because I am... I love my children and I'm taking that direction. And that, I, I, it breaks my heart to hear that tension. Um, but I, but that, that I, okay, said enough. Yeah, well, I think Nathan's lesson was a reminder that, um, that the gospel, that, the, that God's work in glory, um, you know, what it is, <laughs> that it is about this uh, gentle love that's available to everyone. Uh, and I love too the, the pairing of Moses and the, you know, thinking about the eternal life of man, my work in my glory and, and connecting that to this very, um, to, you know, the angel appearing and say unto you, <laughs> unto all, you know, kind of unto all people, um, you know, my son is given, um, that this love is is for all. And this is my work in glory. This, um, this, I mean, it feels really intimate. It feels deeply personal and it feels, uh, you know, really universal, uh, that, that message of, you know, what, what the work of redemption is. Um, and then I love how you've connected to kind of how we practically, um, you know, connect to, to the gospel in our lives, that it's, through beloveds, uh, you know, loving one another. Uh, and I'm struck over and over again in my, in my recent reading, even in the doctrine and covenants, like over and over again, I keep, um, noticing all of these scriptures that talk about God loving the world. And so he gives his son, uh, and it comes in everywhere. And, and partly this is striking me right now at this moment, because I'm not so sure I can love the world. <laughs> There's so much that's so wrong. Um, and it's been kind of this, uh, it's been grounding for me to, to really kind of grapple with that, that, that universal message of love, that God loves the world. He loves all of it. He loves all of us. Uh, and this is, um, and this is why he gave his son, right? And this is the kind of path back. Anyway, so can I provide maybe even a little more context? Um, for instance, 
dialogue is full of people with grand and great ideas of 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 God, the gospel, um, the prophets, the teachings, and it's within these ideas that often helps um, move uh, the hearts of the children of men towards new ideas. Um, it's it's the true meaning of what a teacher is and does. Um, explains and moves forward these ideas and and opens all of our minds into uh, horizons that we may not have considered. And uh, one of the great things about those um, who are our teachers is you stand there and you do this. You facilitate this learning. And the discussions are so necessary. Affirmation stands in a very different position. We stand in an extremely practical decision where we don't talk about the love. We don't try to understand or academically um, discuss um, the pros and the cons, the where's and, and the why's. We are living within the practicality of the love of our of, of Jesus, of the Savior, as we practically run to our peers. And like Laura said, we, we help our peers along. Um, there is always a zone between um, the law of God and then continuing revelation, the ongoing, ongoing restoration, where it finally, you know, it continues to evolve and move and it starts to expand and, and allow space for other people. And uh, for a long time in the church, we were caught in that zone of exclusion with our African-American um, siblings. And that has grown and helped expand it. We're not, we're not there yet, but, but the, the doctrine has, has expanded and, and folk tales have gone away as, as that has expanded to include a zone of inclusion within, for instance, our temples. Um, LGBTQ people are now caught in a zone of emptiness in the restoration. We're experiencing what I would like to call a slow restoration, where in this slowness, our own lives don't slow down. We still age at the same rate. Um, and we, we have to make decisions on how to experience the love of God right now within our own practical lives and how we work. And we will leave the, the doctrine and the policies to others. Um, but it is that practicality to where we can give the permission to others to love us as Jesus has loved. To love us in a, in a loving, gentle manner, not in an Old Testament manner, not in an exclusionary manner where we're going to, to draw circles to keep you out and to other you, to mark you with, with um, whatever markings are given now to the marginalized. It is that permission to love your children. Um, help others on your way right now. The immediacy is right now. God and we are taught this all the time that, uh, that even from the apostles, that, that God will figure this out. A loving Heavenly Father has the answers. But right now, it is the permission to love as Christ loves, to, to, to ex have that gentleness of love, that very practical effect that is life-giving 
in the here and now, and also life saving in the here and now. And so that's the practical flesh and blood corporeal nature of love that we in affirmation exist in as we build a community to support one another. So that's kind of where I am making that tie. Yeah, we can I, love like our fathers. We can love like our heavenly parents. We can, you have permission to do that. Yeah, I love the um, you kind of highlighting that that that, and I think we often. I mean, I different people, different organizations have different roles to play in the ongoing restoration. Um, but but I know that myself, like I, and it's and it's. And it's as I've allowed myself to um, to be proximate with students, with students of color, with LGBTQ plus students, um, with friends and family uh, who are struggling with some of those uh, exclusions uh, and the limits of um, the restoration to date. That I've come to understand that uh, it's there's a lot more than just kind of the critical thought element. So, you know, I teach U.S. women's history, I teach African-American history, and, and there's kind of a critical content that, you know, I was very comfortable coming to and, and kind of um, sharing ideas. Um, but I've learned over the course of my teaching that it's so much, um, you know, another really important element is the kind of uh, process and helping students to, to um, kind of grapple emotionally and, um, and, um, and mentally with kind of what they're experiencing and, and having a space where they can, again, just feel loved, <laughs> um, you know, in the classroom, in my office, and that, uh, you know, that's where really important work um, uh, gets done. Uh, I, I know I've shared this on dialogue before, but I'm really, I, I come back often to kind of Corn, Cornell West, his thinking about education, where he talks about, um, you know, there's a critical thinking component, and some of us are really good at the kind of um, critical, critical educations about, you know, thinking critically, but we're less good at the other essential elements, which are compassion and courage. And, um, and affirmation, I think, is um, is providing a great model for um, you know those um, uh, that practical, really essential part of um, of moving us forward and of education and restoration. Yeah, but let me. I, not yes. I thanks, Rebecca. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. I I feel like I jumped in like I'm disagreeing, and I'm not at all. But I'm, <laughs> uh, but. I, but I am a little bit, I want to pick up on Nathan's comment about dialogue being all theoretical and, and theological. And I, um, because I think there's an important role and I want to speak up for that role in that there's something we, and, and this is Western culture as much as it is Mormon history, but I'll stick with Mormon history. Um, in, in we do have a problem, in my opinion, a problem of, um, of saying in the hereafter, you will be white. In the hereafter, you will be Americans. In the hereafter, you will be straight. Um, the solutions come 
later. And that, I mean, it's a, it's a very strong word, but that feels genocidal. And that um, is problematic, but it, it's also problematic in that it, that kind of theology, I want to put quotes around it because I so much disagree with it, but that kind of talk diverts our thinking from the present. And I think we have to speak out against that kind of thinking and that kind of talk that the solution is in the next life. Um, and, and so in a, in a, in a, just in a theological, in a philosophical, in a, how we talk about things, I want to keep pushing back against that line. And if dialogue is going to do it, well, you know, I'll stand up for dialogue doing it, but. No, that's uh, great. Have, and and two, we have, we have to go present. We have to go present. Right. We, we in the margins, we can't do that. Our voices don't go where yours do. We literally depend on you who have access to the power centers to carry these voices. So this is not, was, wasn't even a diss of, of dialogue. This is just an acknowledgement that we are reliant as the marginalized on you to carry us and our messages, our stories in to the metaphorical temple um, and to translate ourselves, much like the money changers, translating, you know, the, the, the currency of the world into the currency of the temple to be able to enter. You are bringing our stories translated into spaces we cannot enter. We rely on that partnership. And so thank you for recognizing that because it, it's an essential part of, of ministering to the marginalized. I just, um, I love, I love what Chris is bringing to the conversation um, around the here and now, and it it draws me back to um, you know Nathan. Nathan really brought us into the story of of Moses a little bit earlier on, and for me, like Moses is like the go-to archetype of how a person, like, sort of learns about their own privilege at some point in their life, right? They're like, oh, look at this. Like, I, you know, the contrast of, of, of the marginal, which I also am a part of, but also I am in this place of privilege. And now, well, initially, right, he has sort of this existential crisis about it, right? Um, this, this messiness of, of being someone aware that people who I love and this privileged, um, you know, community that I'm a part of are also oppressing people who I love in a community that I am a part of. Um, and, you know, obviously we, we watch him go from sort of just this overwhelmed figure, right? Who's just like um, one moment he's like, doesn't know what to do and he's lashing out and like killing a guard. <laughs> that's really not the way that's, <laughs> that's not great, but we can all identify with what it means to just be exasperated and lash out. Maybe, um, hopefully not killing anyone in the process, but gotta love the old Testament. It really drives it all home, the emotion of it all. But then, you know, he, he, he like ends up like fleeing into the wilderness. So like, that's the opposite, the fight or the flight. Like, I don't know what to do and runs away, but in that running away finds, a, a direct connection with God and starts being guided 
to go back and to be a voice, to use his privilege, to be a voice in over and over again, saying, please let my people go, or please let's, let's change this, right? Essentially let's change this. And it's not to somebody out there, it's to his own family. It's to his own community, you know, and, 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 um, it's, a it's such an intimate experience, right? With like my family versus my family versus my community versus my community. And how do I center on that voice that I heard on the mountain and show up and say, you know what, God, God told me something needs to be different. <laughs> But this isn't okay. Can 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 we change it? And I think to for me that's the archetypal model of like how we use any bit of privilege to speak to oppression. And ultimately, right, Moses didn't convince everybody. There are times where you have to leave. There are times where you have to step away. There are times where you know the the mode of operation changes, or it's too dangerous to stick around. Um, I think that core, sort of that core, like speaking up, um, but it's an intimate experience. It's a community experience. It's happening within a, a family, within a family, within a family, right? It's messy. And now I'm blessing. Can I, can I introduce a comment? I, oh, Andy, I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I just want to piggyback on both what Chris and Laura have said. There's really interesting, and I'll put in the link. Um, the fact that it is the celestial kingdom here and now, that it is not that after we die, um, after we are somewhere else, that it is the here and now. There's, and there's a very interesting and one of my favorite, um, uh, I guess, uh, what, what John Peters calls immersions. The, the, the first, one of my first um, watermarks of the immersion of the restoration is Come, Come, Saints where Laura, you're talking about Moses, you know, and this diaspora. In our own diaspora, William Clayton takes a hymn that's a sacred uh, spiritual called um, All is Well, All is Well, and I'll put it in the chat. And basically it's a, it's a death dirge and it is just the same. It is, you know, um, you know, here we toil and we trial and soon all is well and all is well, angels round me about me to take me home. And he's seeing this. Um, at the beginning of, he's just left uh, Nauvoo with Brigham, and they are, they are, are, uh, they are. He gets word that Diantha, his wife, is dying after childbirth, and he sings the sacred, the sacred harp spiritual that is basically, when she dies, all will be well. But then he adds an extra chorus, a fifth verse, which is our come, come, saints, which is, but if she lives. If we make it to Zion in this, in this, as Moses in the wilderness, in this diaspora, if we make it, man, will we make this chorus swell? And I think we need to make good on that. Um, we think we have made good on that. We think we have arrived at Zion and that, Nathan, yes, thank you for pointing us toward the, the, the tabernacle choir, but we're not all in the choir. And it goes back to goes back to um, Emily Thane's all all God's voices got a, a a voice in the choir, and her her essay those um, eyes to see and ear eyes for seeing and hearing with hearing without hearing and seeing without seeing, but.
but we need to make good on that that the sacred the celestial kingdom is here and that the chorus will swell when all of us are part of the chorus and i will put that first sacred harp uh spiritual in the chat it's amazing and and all william clayton did was sing it put a little bit of syncopation on it and and he made a deal i believe with the lord and i think not the devil but with the lord and he said look I understand that there is this promise of this faraway place that, that is unseen. But if you help us get to Zion, if she makes it through the night, we promised our commitment, our commitment, not yours, our commitment is that we will make the chorus swell with all of us as a part of it. Um, several of us. I think Nathan did, Laura did, Andy, you just did. You put like a punch on the all of us. And there, there are several comments in the chat that I, that I think will we'll challenge or speak to that. And I just wanted to bring them forward. Um, Susie Hanna reminds us that um, Oh, we lost Chris. <laughs> uh, so I'll, uh, I appreciate being reminded that if we are to love one another, uh, this can and should help to compensate for the failings that may exist in nuclear families, provide a sense of belonging, identity outside those um, particular constructs um, uh, to create a big tent, Zion. Chris, do you want to continue now that you're back? Yeah, I'm still trying to get fully connected, but drinking water before bed burns 46 pounds in two years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. Okay, well, I read Susan Hannah's comment. Um, I'm yeah. also, I'm also, I guess, I guess the point was that I wanted to pull out of Susie Hannah's and Clay Cook's was um, not all our, not all of our uh, nuclear families are working the way we would like, and so there, there's a, there's a place where the community where we we need to be thinking more about who all is and all may be um, broader than we think because of nuclear families that are not doing all that we would like to be. And Clay Cook reminds us that um, not everybody loves us and, uh, and, and loving and including may include people who are not particularly lovable or, re, or, or reflective. And that's, that's, that's part of us as well. That's part of the all. I, I, I mean, I see those as challenges, not as quick answers, but um, that's, well, I, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think, I mean, Christ's ministry, you know, shows us what this practical approach looks like, how we go about um, sharing the love of God, right. That, um, that he opens his ministry with this Samaria, Samaritan, Samaritan woman at the well. <laughs> and I mean, he's constantly, I mean, he brings together a diverse set of disciples in the first place who don't all like each other. <laughs> so maybe that kind of speaks to, uh, Clay Cook's, um, you know, comment, like, you know, they don't all like each other. They've got these different backgrounds and different um, kind of ways of thinking. Um, but yet we're called to this work together. And that work together is constantly, um, you know, reaching out and teaching and, um, and uh, the other, the, those who have been othered within this uh, 
society. So, um, you know, who is my neighbor and, and over and over again, right. Um, Christ is showing us like this, this gentle way of enveloping all of, um, God's children in love. I think uh, if we go back to the, um, vision of the tree of life, um, in chapter eight, where Lehi talks that it's it's he and Sariah that are standing under the tree and they're calling to their children. All of us as children of God still have our agency of where we want to go and what we want to do. Um, the key is, is are we in our lives as individuals, either leaders of the church, members of the church, uh, just good citizens of the earth, are we standing in the way between those wanting to reach the tree of life uh, by standing in the way in the great and spacious building, um, acting like a barrier? Life is hard enough to get through anyway, but are we interpreting doctrine? Are we interpreting who and who can't? Are we othering? Are we are we calling and jeering and mocking from the great and spacious building, causing the beloveds who are pressing forward towards this tree of life, are we causing them to be lost in the mists of darkness because of what we are practicing? And it's, it's a, removing those barriers um, as in our own personal discipleship so that others can see clearly, hold the rod, move forward, and, and meet together with family, both that we're born to and a family that we've chosen, and partake of the fruits of the tree of life. Um, loving gentleness, loving, it's the love of Jesus that is not a barrier. It is an inclusion enveloping um, and encouraging and an affirming boost to get us uh, to that tree of life. Amen. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if we want to keep going or. I, I mean, I, I, we do have, we do have some interesting um, chat comments and I let, let's let's bring those forward but try also try to wrap pretty quickly um, I think these are in effect both addressed to Nathan um, one is um, as a mother of a gay child I have seriously considered leaving as I've seen her trauma and elder Holland's talk I've started wearing rainbow pins but have wondered if it is doing any good thank you Nathan for validating that my attempts matter any other ideas of how we can embrace the marginalized at church? And just to give you the whole panoply here, another comment, David Sandberg, um, one of the ways we can show love for others is by setting and clarifying boundaries. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure I understand all of this, not by fight or flight, although at first we may not know how to respond, but uh, rather, maybe as Jeremiah by staying in Jerusalem, or as Lehi does by saying, I must go elsewhere. Can I maybe answer this and then maybe have Laura um, dovetail and expand uh, on this thought? 
when we think of our, our personal relationship with God um, in Christ, the only gift that Christ requires of us is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Um, we learn this time and time again, that it is our personal gift. It is our heart that we are breaking towards the Savior. It is our contrite spirit that we're giving. It is ours and ours alone to give. It is our personal ministry. It's how we give that to God is a very personal way which we live the gospel of Jesus Christ as we give that gift. And it's in no one else's purview to tell us either how to give the gift or to give the gift for us in our behalf. It is ours and ours alone to give because it is that personal heart. It is our personal spirit. It is our person that we give out. That is what Jesus Christ wants as our gift. So as we are practicing the gentleness of love, as we are giving the gift of ourselves to others, um, that is your personal ministry. That is your personal gift that you are giving to others. And others cannot give it to you in your behalf. They cannot tell you how to do it. You know through the Spirit how to minister, how to take the invitation of come follow me and, and exude how Jesus loves in your own life. That is your gift, yours alone to give. It is the gift of every Christian that's lived in every age of, of being able to give this gift of ministry to others. So as you are going about um, your personal ministry within your wards, within your stakes, um, no one can tell you how to do it, you know, how, how, how you can show love, how you can't show love. That is your personal gift that you can give. And so you can feel extremely confident as you give that gentleness of love in your own ministry, that that is in your purview to give. That is your, your right as a child of God, as you follow Jesus, to give the gift as you know, um, because you've taken upon yourself his name to exude those gifts of love. And so uh, just to answer that, that, that question, other things you can do in that footprint are things that you can personally do. Um, the way that the church is structured, you have no voice in changing doctrine personally. You don't have a voice in creating or changing or moving forward policy. But you have the, the sheer gift of God to be able to give of yourself, of your love within that own personal footprint that you have. And people are in your orbit every day at church. Um, and um, just, you know, the things that I mentioned of, of identifying yourself as a light on the hill, you will gather people about you um, who need a place to rest. And I did give some ideas, and, I, and maybe, Laura, maybe you can give even more ideas on how to help expand and create that safety bubble for the marginalized um, within the spaces that, that, that you walk. Laura, you're still muted. Thank you. Thanks for telling me. Um, I know. I know. We're sort of um, 
wanting to to wrap, but I'll I'll try to sort of summarize things in in principles because we like drawing from principles and hopefully we can build on them. Um, and I want to speak specifically to questions about parents of LGBT youth since that's sort of a recurring theme. Um, but it but also like to the to the membership you know as a whole because I think we take those mentoring roles um, a lot with, with youth. Um, and the two principles I think would be summarized in, in words of um, God does have a plan for that. And I'll explain a little more. And the other is I go to prepare a place for you. Um, now, Oftentimes, what I hear parents saying over and over again is, I have no idea how to navigate this. I don't feel like there's a plan for my child. I don't see them, um, you know, in, <laughs> in sort of the, the, the language or a hopeful way or a hopeful belonging experience in this, in this community journey that we're on around salvation and exaltation. Um, but the message that I hope people will convey over and over again is that actually the scriptures are just filled with stories of people who are not being treated well and who where God intervenes or leads them to another place. Um, and I wish we had like a whole hour to talk about all of those examples, but you know that you know these examples, and and these are the these are the stories that you have got to point young people to. Um, that there are all of these instances where someone is not being treated well, entire bodies of people or individuals, and God shows up and intervenes. God has a plan for people who are being oppressed. God is the deliverer, right? God is bigger than any oppression of any community or any posture that says you don't belong. And so that has to be the message over and over and over again of understanding that God is not bound by these oppressions, whatever they are. Um, so that's the first principle to be able to, 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 to like name the, those harms that are happening and and that, like, that is exactly why Jesus showed up. <laughs> that is exactly why God exists, to lead people to safety, to lead people to a new place, to lead people um, into uh, deliverance, and that they are loved, and that there's always a place, no matter what is going on in terms of um, oppression or inequality. Um, and then the other is that very, very familiar phrase of, you know, that Christ offered, right? Of, I go to prepare a place for you. Um, this, these are the words that I wish every Latter-day Saint, when they're in any way affected by LGBT issues, and they're continuing to be a part of this community that is wrestling with these tensions, these are the words that I wish would in some way guide, you know, their, how, how they lead into that space. Um, I, I personally believe the spirit will guide people in so many small little ways in their own spheres of how to create more and more safety for LGBT people. But it's that guiding principle that I hope 
Latter-day Saints and parents as like sometimes their children are moving in different directions, but they are still attending, that that is the message that like my, like the love that I'm leading with in this space is that maybe one day, you know, in its own time, line upon line, that there will be a place for you. And that is that to me, that is the most loving principle that, um, that we can apply in this situation and that children know that our participation is not about maintaining something that feels harmful, but about um, in our own way, in our own sphere, as much as we can, guided by the spirit to prepare a, a genuine place. And um, just go ahead. really quickly, just, just to dovetail, Laura, just like you said, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. And then dovetailing on what Andy said in Come, in, in Come, Come Ye Saints, it's, I will go play, prepare a place for you, but together we'll find a place that God for us prepared. That, that, that coupling together is that message of hope. It's that Christmas message of hope, of love, that together will find that place that God for us prepared, and I will go prepare it for you. And You've been listening to the Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Find more of our podcasts at dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts. Dialogue Podcast Network.